0: Father, we're grateful to be able to be here this morning. It's not everyone on earth who has the opportunity and the privilege to gather like we're doing right now. Uh, Not everyone has that freedom. Uh, Not everyone is brave enough to gather together with others and to share their faith. But today here in Chattanooga, we are privileged and we are grateful that we can do that. So bless our time together we ask and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. It was in the early hours of September eighth, eighteen sixty that an experience occurred that would change well, the lives of a number of people, but especially a young man by the name of Eddie Spencer forever. He was a young man who was training for ministry up in Evanston, Illinois, just on the uh, on the coast, if you will, of the uh, of Lake Michigan, uh, on the the shore of Lake Michigan. On September seventh, the day before eighteen sixty, There was a group of about 400 people who took a trip across the lake from Milwaukee to Chicago. The purpose for their journey on this paddle wheeler called the Lady Elgin was to go hear Senator Stephen Douglas rail against his opponent, a man by the name of Abraham Lincoln. And so they were excited to go to this rally and to hear... Their heroes speak against Abraham Lincoln. The rally went a little bit longer than they had anticipated, and it finally came to a close at about 11.30 at night. They decided to hop back on the paddle wheeler and go back across Lake Michigan, but the captain of the paddle wheeler was a little bit concerned because he had heard there was going to be some inclement weather, and he was not particularly excited about going back on the lake. How many of you have ever spent any time near Lake Michigan? us a few hands. Can the, can the weather get up there a little nasty from time to time? And so the captain had heard that it was going to turn nasty and said, you know, maybe we'd better just hold off until the next day. But the revelers were excited. They'd had a wonderful evening and they were excited to get home and they managed to convince the captain to head back across the lake. Well, a little ways into the journey, the weather did indeed turn foul. It got nasty. And as they were crossing there was a lumber ship that was heading the other direction. And as it was approaching the Lady Elgin, that very extravagant paddle wheeler with all the revelers on board, the captain knew that something bad was about to happen. He got on the megaphone and he shouted and yelled as loud as he could to try to alert the sailors on the lumber ship of the approaching disaster. They didn't hear him. The lumber ship hit the side of the Lady Elgin, creating a great gash in the side of that wooden-sided ship, and the ship began to go down with 400 people on board. Many of them perished immediately, but a number of them managed to grab a hold of some of the floating debris and to swim as best they could toward the shore. Well, as they were coming up on the shore, some of them, the people on shore were alerted to the disaster, and one of those young men was a man by the name of Edward Spencer. He and his brother went out to see what they could do to to pull the survivors from the surf, from that icy water. They took a a rope and tied it around each of their waists, and Edward would wade and swim out into the water. He would grab a person if he could and bring them back to the shore. His brother remained on shore holding holding onto that line so that he wouldn't lose Edward. Edward went back again and again and again. And over the course of the next six hours, Edward managed to save 17 people from their deaths in the icy waters. But it came at a price, because those six hours in the icy water worked on his health. He never quite recovered from those six hours. He had to drop out of school. He never became a minister like he had wanted to do, never went into the mission field as he had wanted to do. And he lived the next 63 years as an invalid because of that one night that he spent in the icy waters saving 17 people. The tragedy, if we can call it that, is that it's reported not a single one of those 17 people ever told him thank you. Saved their lives, essentially lost his own, but nobody bothered to tell him thanks. You know, sometimes saying thank you isn't given as much importance as perhaps it should. Let's turn our Bibles to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. We're going to read a story here. <clears throat> it's a story that of course echoes the story I just shared. Luke chapter 17. We're going to look at verses 12 through 19. Luke chapter 17, verses 12 through 19. In the book of Luke, chapter 17 and verse 12, this story is recounted. It says, Then as he, Jesus, entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were, what? Lepers, who stood afar off. Now let's pause there for just a moment. What was it like to be a leper back in Jesus' day? It's a little bit different than it is today, because if you lived back in Jesus' day and you were a leper, you were considered, what? Unclean. And if you were unclean, you had to stay apart from society. You couldn't mingle with the people that you know, that you knew and cared about, the people who were important to you. You couldn't spend time with your family. You couldn't spend time with your friends. Really, the only other people you could spend time with were lepers, people who were in the same situation, the same state that you were. And you had to rely on others for your food, for your care, I mean, your friends, your family, they might bring you a little bit of food, a basket or a bag, and they'd set it down somewhere where you could come and pick it up, but you always had to stay afar off from others. And if you did happen to get close to others, what would you have to cry to alert them? You would have to cry unclean, unclean, and others would recoil from you and pull away. As he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and they said, Jesus, Master, have what? Have mercy on us. Do you think they knew that Jesus could help them? Do you think they felt that way? What do you think? Yeah, they, they said, here's hope. Here's a little bit of hope. We don't have any other hope in the world. There's nothing else that we can do. But here is one who can help us. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were what? They were cleansed. Did they have some faith that Jesus could heal them? Yes. How did that faith manifest itself? In in the that when they went they believed they heard jesus jesus said go show yourself to the priests when they heard and believed that jesus could heal them they turned and they went toward the priests and as they went the bible says they were what they were healed they were cleansed and one of them when he saw that he was healed returned and with a loud voice it says he glorified god and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who accept, who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you what? Has made you well or has made you whole? Here were ten individuals who had no hope save in one person no hope save in one individual who could heal them who could save them who could change their lives and they manifested enough faith that their faith made them well that jesus was able to bless them through their faith and when they went toward the priests, all 10 of them were healed if God had healed you from that situation, how grateful would you be? Basically, Jesus just brought you back from death to life once again. You were just given a second life. Were they grateful? Uh, To some extent, they were. But it seems most of them were not grateful enough to say what? To say thank you. Only one of them was grateful enough to say thank you. And the Bible describes him as a what? As a foreigner or as a Samaritan. The implication is the other nine were what? Were Jews. The other nine had the knowledge. They had the background, but this one who had essentially nothing going into it realized the magnitude of the blessing that he was given. And he came back and told Jesus, thank you. For the sake of this one man, The one man who told him thank you, Jesus healed how many of them? All 10 of them. See, Jesus wants to bless us. And he's not going to bless us based on whether or not we're going to thank him. His desire is to bless us anyway. But the question then becomes, do we care enough about that blessing to actually tell him thank you? Let's take a look at the book of Psalms. Turn over to Psalm 100. Psalm 100. In Psalm 100, we're going to look at actually the entire psalm but don't let that worry you there are only five verses in the psalm it's a beautiful psalm and would that there were more verses in this psalm psalm 100 if you're ever trying to think of a place to go in the bible to remind you of the importance of thanksgiving this is it psalm 100 psalm 100 says make a joyful shout to the lord all ye lands serve the lord with gladness Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with what? Thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all what? to all generations. The Lord is good and his truth endures to all generations. Sometimes it's difficult to think of things to be thankful for. Often if we dig deep enough, it's not hard, but we go through trials, we go through challenges, and it's difficult sometimes to say, you know what, I'm thankful for what I do have. But it's when we go through those challenges or we see others going through challenges that sometimes it becomes a little bit more fresh for us. I'm reminded of the story of a man by the name of Captain Eden, Eddie Rickenbacker. How many of you have heard that name before? Eddie Rickenbacker. I see a several hands. It's mainly the older generation. My apologies, who are familiar with Captain Eddie Rickenbacker's name. What more? What war made Captain, Captain Eddie Rickenbacker famous? It was the First World War. He was a flying ace. He was... Uh, Probably the best ace that the United States had flying in the Army Air Corps. Um, not very many people. You had to have at least five confirmed kills to become an ace. He had 26, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he was well-known, well-respected, uh, and very, very famous in his day. But while he was Uh, flying a few years later, back in 1942, this would have been around the time of World War II, during World War II, he was flying as a passenger on a B-17, a flying fortress. And he was flying to deliver a message to to General Douglas MacArthur, who was in New Guinea. Now, he'd been in airplanes for all his life and knew them very well, but he didn't happen to be the pilot of this one. And as they were flying... They lost their way over the ocean. Now, if you're going to lose your way in an airplane, it's one thing if you lose your way over land. It's an entirely different situation if you lose your way over the ocean. And as they were flying around trying to find their bearings, get their bearings, the captain could not figure out which way to head. And the fuel got lower and lower and lower. And they realized that they were going to have to ditch in the ocean. Well, ditch they did, and they survived. But being in the middle of the ocean, with nobody knowing where you are, is a bit of a challenge. They had a couple of life rafts that they managed to deploy, five feet wide by nine feet long. And the crew and the passengers in that B-17 got in, and they waited to be rescued. One day went by, two days went by, three days went by. It was hot. There wasn't much to drink. Their rations were depleted after eight days or had been ruined by seawater, and still no hope. Well, the, uh, the captain of the airplane, his name was Cherry, he decided to have a little worship service there in the raft that day. And as he shared a little bit of uh, scripture, he finished with a prayer for deliverance and a hymn of praise. Well, there wasn't much talk after that because the heat was oppressive. The men were thirsty. They were very hungry. And they decided the best thing that they could do was just try to sleep and conserve their energy. Well, as the men drifted off, Eddie Rickenbacker took his hat and he pulled it down over his eyes and he drifted off to sleep as well. But not long after that, he felt something land on his hat. And he raised his eyebrow to look at the other men in the raft. And the other men were now very wide awake because that thing that was on his hat was a seagull. And they knew that that seagull was what was standing between them and starvation. Now, not a single one of the other men knew that they dared breathe, but Eddie knew looking at their faces that it was up to him. And offering up a short prayer, he moved his arms as quickly as he could and managed to grab that seagull. And the meat from that seagull provided them with enough food to carry on for a few days. And the other parts of that seagull they used to manage to bait fish hooks and drop them over the side. They ended up being in a raft for over a month. And if it weren't for that one seagull and the sacrifice that that seagull made, well, Eddie Rickenbacker and the rest of that crew might not have seen land again but by god's grace god provided them something that helped them to get through does god provide us things that we need to get through what do you think and some of you right now are going i don't know would i eat a seagull (laughs) well i'm going to let you struggle with that the next time you're in a life raft in the middle of the ocean (laughs) but uh, for eddie rickenbacker and his team that was what was provided and that was what they took but uh, psalm 26 verse 7 says this that I may publish with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all thy wondrous works. God has many wonderful works that he performs in our lives, and sometimes they go unnoticed. Sometimes we don't recognize the blessings that he gives to us, but he gives us many wonderful works. Psalm 105, verse 1 says, "O oh, give thanks unto the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people. One of the best ways for us to reflect on the many things that we have to thank be thankful for is to do what he says here make his deeds known among the people what do we need to do we need to tell others when God has has poured out blessings in our lives it's hard for us sometimes to to reflect on them and to to grasp them but when we share them with others they become more real in our own lives over in first chronicles chapter 16 and verse 8 It says, give thanks unto the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people. Make known God's deeds among the people. That was something that Paul's ministry was largely marked by. Of course, we can expect Jesus' ministry would be marked by that, lifting up the many blessings that God had done for him. But Paul's ministry was most certainly marked by that. Let's turn over to the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. And we're going to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Challenges are a part of life. In fact, if you were here for Sabbath school, you recognize that we spent much of our time talking about the challenges, the trials, the disappointments that we go through in life. But God gives us lists of things in the Bible that can help us remember the fact that he's in charge, that he pays particular attention to the minutiae and helps us to know that he's going to help us through. But we turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we see Paul reflecting on some of this, this idea. In 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul says, beginning in verse 1, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night." For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. So are there challenging times coming, yes or no? Yes. Are there challenging times coming for Christians, yes or no? Yes, there are. Look what he says in verse number four. He says, but you, brethren, are not in darkness that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint to us wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ is that something to be to be thankful for? Since he has given us salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you. And are over you and the lord and admonish you when he says they are to recognize people who labor among you and are over you and admonish you what's another way of saying to recognize people for things who that they do like that you might say to be be thankful for them he says be thankful to these people let them know and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake be at peace among yourselves now he says we exhort you brethren warn those who are unruly comfort the faint-hearted uphold the weak be patient with all see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all then he says in verse 16 two words what are they rejoice always pray without ceasing in everything verse 18 give what give thanks for this is the will of god in christ jesus for you do not quench the spirit do not despise prophecies test all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now he says in verse 23, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is what? Faithful who also will do it. Brethren, he says, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Paul says there's a lot of stuff in this life that's going to bring you challenges. A lot of things that are going to cause you to worry, to be concerned, and to, and to lose hope. But he says you've got a lot to be thankful for. And far and above everything else, you can be thankful that Jesus loves you enough to give you his gift of salvation. You look through Paul's writings And you're going to find, in fact, you look through the entire New Testament, you're going to find something rather interesting. It's often been said that there are more commands in the Bible to rejoice than there are to keep the Sabbath. Now, I'm not going to try to downplay the importance of keeping the Sabbath. It's important, amen? But is it important to rejoice? why Why is being... Why is rejoicing so important if you take a look at the root words the root words in the Greek for both rejoice and be thankful they have a common root word so when we talk about Thanksgiving it's not just about being thankful but it's also about what rejoicing rejoicing in the life that God has given us rejoicing in Christ Jesus rejoicing in the plan of salvation You know, Ellen White had something interesting to say in the Ministry of Healing, page 251. She said, nothing tends more to promote health of body and of soul than does a spirit of gratitude and praise. It is a positive duty to resist melancholy, discontented thoughts and feelings, as much a duty as it is to pray. You know, it's easy to become discouraged in the things in life. What what are some things that discourage people in this life? What are some things? Job. job? Yeah, maybe you're not real excited with your job, or you've just lost your job. What are some other things that cause discontent and melancholy, sadness? What are some others? Sickness, sickness, illness, or the ultimate form of sickness would be death, right? How many of you have lost somebody? All right. It's easy to become sad when that happens, isn't it? You know, but doesn't Paul say something about rejoicing? Even when you lose somebody like that, we have something to rejoice in. What do we have to rejoice in? The resurrection. That's a hope that others don't have, that Christians don't have. But we as Christians have that hope of the resurrection. So even in death, there is something that we can be thankful for. The Bible says the last enemy that shall be destroyed is, is death. We don't even have to worry about that one in the end. Loss of a loved one, a destructive addiction, an illness, a loss of a job, or just frustrations with somebody else. So many things that can that can bring us down. When you look at Paul's life and his ministry, he went through a lot of trials, a lot of challenges. In fact, if you look at 1 and 2 Corinthians, 1st and 2 Corinthians, those two letters, the writing of them was only separated by a few weeks. Paul wrote the letter of 1 Corinthians and a few weeks later, he wrote the letter of 2 Corinthians. They were written from Ephesus and then Macedonia. Now, he would have stayed in Ephesus longer and continued writing and doing ministry there, but it seems there was a bit of an uprising against him, and he ended up having to leave. Do you think that might have frustrated him a little bit, not being able to continue there in Ephesus and do the work that he wanted to do? But Paul had this, this ability to, to focus on the more important things, See, we have a a horizontal relationship with the things of this world, the things that are happening around us. And that's part of life. But if we only focus on the horizontal axis, we miss the vertical axis. And the vertical axis is what gives us the ability to move forward through the trials and challenges of this life. Paul said there's something more important than the frustrations that I'm going through in this life. You take a look at 2 Corinthians, and Paul's, Paul was prompted to write the second letter to the Corinthians, probably by the response of, or by the report that Titus gave him of what was going on in Corinth. He'd heard some things that were going south in the church there, and his ministry was being ill-spoken of. And so he said, I, I'm a little discouraged, I'm a little despondent, but Titus was, Titus was sent to Corinth. He came back and he brought a response. He said, here's some of the good stuff that's happening. And you look at the letter of 2 Corinthians and you find that some incredible things were going on. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, notice this turn of things. The 2 Corinthians, you'll find about the first nine chapters... Are written by Paul to those who in the church had turned and headed back in the right direction but the last few chapters were an encouragement by Paul to those who had not turned and headed in the right direction to head back in the right direction let's look at chapter 9 chapter 9 Paul says now concerning the ministering to the Saints it is superfluous for me to write to you for I know your willingness about which I boast of you to the Macedonians that Achaia was ready a year ago and your zeal has stirred up the majority yet i have seen yet pardon me yet i have sent the brethren lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this report that as i said you may be ready lest if some macedonians come with me and find you unprepared we not to mention you should be ashamed of this confident boasting paul says you've headed the wrong direction but now you're headed back and i can i can boast of you verse 5 Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap how? Sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one of you give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver." And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Now, as you drop down to the very end of the chapter, you'll notice what he says there in verse number 11. He says, while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God, for the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. While through this proof of this ministry they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men, and by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. God is able to do incredible things through us that, they, that others may be able to see that thanksgiving in us and be drawn to Christ as well. There's a powerful passage in the book Acts of the Apostles Page 478 that says, God fixes no limit to the advancement of those who desire to be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Through prayer, through watchfulness, through growth in knowledge and understanding, they are to be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. Thus, they are prepared to work for others. It is the Savior's purpose that human beings purified and sanctified shall be his helping hand. For this great privilege, let us give thanks to him who has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who has delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. You know, Paul kind of summarizes this in the book of Colossians. In Colossians 1.12, he says, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. We are to be we are to inherit that beautiful future that jesus has for us but when we fail to recognize the gifts that god has given us now it's hard to see what god has for us in the future some years ago a poem was penned called forgive me when i whine now i'm not going to ask you how many of you have a tendency to whine but i have a feeling that there are probably some parents who would point a finger at their children and maybe a husband or wife who would point a finger at their spouse. But I'll let you do that once you get home from church today. We're not going to do it now. Forgive me when I whine. Today upon a bus, I saw a lovely maid with golden hair. I envied her. She seemed so gay, and how I wished I were so fair. When suddenly she rose to leave, I saw her hobble down the aisle. She had one foot and wore a crutch, but as she passed, a smile. Oh God, forgive me when I whine, I have two feet. The world is mine. And when I stopped to buy some sweets, the lad who served me had such charm. He seemed to radiate good cheer. His manner was so kind and warm. I said, it's nice to deal with you. Such honesty, I seldom find. He turned and said, oh, thank you, sir. And then I saw that he was blind. O God, forgive me when I whine, I have two eyes, the world is mine. Then walking down the street, I saw a child with eyes of blue. He stood and watched the others play, it seemed he knew not what to do. I stopped a moment, then I said, why don't you join the others, dear? He looked ahead without a word, and then I knew he could not hear. O God, forgive me when I whine, I have two ears, the world is mine. With feet to take me where I'd go, with eyes to see the sunsets glow, with ears to hear what i would know i am blessed indeed the world is mine oh god forgive me when i whine you know, sometimes it's hard to remember the things that we have to be thankful for but not everybody has the things that we have and in the deepest sense we have spiritual hope and that spiritual hope is what gives us courage to move forward there's a uh, A song that I've, it's a children's song, I guess it's a children's song, but that doesn't mean that adults can't enjoy it as well. It was written a number of years ago by a woman by the name of Jennifer Jill Schwerzer. Any of you heard of her before? Know some of her songs? I'm not going to attempt to sing this song. I would never do something like that to you. But I will share with you the refrain from this song. It's called Count It All Joy. Count it all joy when those fiery trials beset you. Count it all joy, we are told. To just count it all joy. Don't let anything upset you. Don't let anyone ever get you complaining. Just count it all joy. One of the verses says, Paul and Silas singing in prison. Maybe two-part harmony. Gave a good example of what to do in a trial. Make a firm decision. Sing it out even if it's off-key. It will be a sweet celestial tune if it comes from a deep desire to count it all joy when those fiery trials beset you. Count it all joy, we are told, to just count it all joy and don't let anything upset you. Don't let anyone ever get you complaining. Just count it all joy. As we look at the ministry of Jesus, as we look at the ministry of Paul, as we look at the ministry of the apostles, and as we look at the ministry of many of the great leaders in this movement over the years, There are always trials. There are always challenges. There are always obstacles. But when we keep our focus upward, we can overcome those by the grace of God and end up giving glory to him and causing others to be thankful in their lives as well. I began this morning's message by sharing with you a story of a young man by the name of Edward Spencer who waded out into the icy waters of Lake Michigan to save as many people as he could. Some years later in 1924, a man by the name of Ensign Edwin Young heard Edward Spencer's story and was moved by it. He published a song that I think draws a powerful spiritual lesson from that incident. The name of that song is Have I Done My Best for Jesus. He writes, I wonder, have I done my best for Jesus who died upon the cruel tree to think of his great sacrifice at Calvary I know my Lord expects the best from me. I wonder, have I cared enough for others, or have I let them die alone? I might have helped a wanderer to the Savior, the seed of precious life I might have sown. And the refrain says this, how many are the lost that I have lifted? How many are the chained I've helped to free? I wonder, have I done my best for Jesus when he has done so much for me? You know, at this time of Thanksgiving, we have an opportunity to be thankful for our friends our family the blessings that god has bestowed upon us in tangible ways but more than anything i hope what we will remember is the price that jesus paid for us on calvary and that without that gift truly we would have nothing to be thankful for let's pray father we thank you that today we have the opportunity to be thankful and we do indeed have much to be thankful for Whether it's a seagull landing on a hat, or a young man who wades out into the icy waters to save us, or whether it's the story of Paul and Silas being able to praise you in times of trial, you give us these stories to help us realize the many blessings that we do have. And even in trial, you give us encouragement and you give us hope. We ask, Lord, that you would bless us with a spirit of thanksgiving so that we can thank you for all the things that you've done for us, just like that one stranger that leper did so many years ago. And through our gratefulness and our praise of you, others may find reason to praise and be thankful for you as well. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.